Now, did you guys listen to Kicked in the Dice Bags this week? Mm-hmm. Not yet. Jonathan mentions at the top of the show that he was disappointed that we did not discuss his his uh, liaison, as it were, on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Which, is really, <laughs> which really isn't true. We kind of ribbed him about it. He just was too slow to pick up on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was ribbed for his pleasure. For his pleasure. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Paul and I were having a conversation, and I said, well, you know, my feelings were a little bit hurt because, you know, he and I, uh, you know, hung out a lot at Fear the Con, and he never once put a hit on me. What's up with that? Am I not pretty enough? And so, you know, I, I, called, I called Jonathan, and I asked him about it, and he said, hey, I'm not into fat dudes. Books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Now, guys, I I don't uh, I don't want to bring the show down, but uh, I, I just I have something I'd like to share with uh, you guys and, and 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 our friends listening at home. The world doesn't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you may not be right for some. A man is born. He's a man of means, and along come two who've got nothing but their genes. It takes different strokes, my friends. It takes different strokes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> really? <laughs> cut, cut to a scene with Willis with just a tear running down his eye. What you talking about, Willis? What you talking about, Aaron? Just, you know, Gary Coleman, he's not with us anymore, and, you know, he was so much a part of all of our lives that uh, I think it's important that we take a moment, you know, to reflect on what he meant to us. So, Tim? Uh, it was a small loss. Oh, God! Oh. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> oh, man. Tiny oversight. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where we go from there. <laughs> For me, every time I play Postal Two, it'll have more meaning now that he's gone. <laughs> wow, uh, Paul. <laughs> I think we should take a brief moment of silence that you're just going to edit out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you guys doing this week? Pretty good. I'm I'm doing well. You know we. Um, we had a big ass interview week. Um, for those uh, you know not in the know, we talked to JT Cruel on Tuesday and learned how to pronounce his name. That's important. Yeah, and, and I still mispronounced it last night. We <laughs> talked to Christos Gage on Wednesday and uh, Philip Sablik, publisher of Top Cow, last night. So I, I am interviewed out. Well, you know, it's hysterical. You and I finished up the uh, JT Cruel interview earlier this week, and I, I stepped out of the, the office and said to my wife, I said, wow, you know, the guy we just got through interviewing, you know, worked on the, the Seinfeld television show. 
And for the first time in almost a year of podcasting, I think I've done something that impresses my wife. <laughs> She's like, really? You know, <laughs> just going to crack me up. Podcasting is not just a hobby. It's a part-time job, apparently. That's, that's right. <laughs> Definitely is. Let me well, tell you. And sometimes not so part-time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife got pretty pissed at me. No. Uh, yeah, shocker. No. <laughs> it must have been a weekday. Um, no, it was right out the nose, man. <laughs> my wife only gets mad at me on days and end in why. <laughs> and what what was Mrs. Aponte aggrieved with you about? Well, she was in San Francisco all week, and her flight was coming in on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. <laughs> I see where this is going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I am. Um, I was like, you know, well, because she was flying with a friend and her friend's father was picking her up. And I said, well, you know, can can maybe he bring you by the house? (laughs) 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 You know, that's my podcasting time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that didn't go over so well. So uh, that was the day that we recorded early and Uh I was still a little late, but uh, there wasn't that much anger. So, yeah. Yeah, but it but it was it was it was a rough conversation that that first shot. Yeah, <laughs> the, see, see the dedication. Man. We appreciate the dedication, and Tim's recording from his mobile studio today. Yep, and he's got the windows cracked, so you know should be okay. But if you don't hear anything in ten minutes, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, turn off the car if you're in the the garage, Tim. Did he want to have the air ready? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's uh, good stuff. Yeah. Let <laughs> me tell you how dedicated I am to this show and to comic books. I woke up this morning, at, you know, like I woke up from a dream, and in my dream, I, I was, I met Jim Lee, and asked him to draw me a Superman sketch. I dream about comic books. Paul? Yeah. I, I really appreciate how, how dedicated you are, how p- impassioned you are about the funny books. You guys dream about Miss Marvel? I dream about Jim Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that may or may not have anything to do with the scotch and Drano you drank at midnight either. But. <laughs> <laughs> if Jim Lee had drawn War of the Supermen, I'm sure I would have enjoyed it a lot more. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, it wrapped up this week. You know, uh, mm-hmm. where the Superman issue number four came out. I thought the artwork was a ton better. Yeah, you know, I yeah, thought I'm... issue three was better than issue two, and I thought issue four was better than issue three. Um, and I actually enjoyed this this book quite a bit. You didn't you didn't care for it, Paul? What seriously? You liked this? Yeah, I did. I, I enjoyed this. I found this offensive. <laughs> I found this entire series offensive. You know, first of all, I missed last week's. Uh, episode, so I didn't get to, to harp on how the Red Sun killed every single Kryptonian in its path, except Superman and Supergirl. Well, and we, we covered talked- that for you. We didn't we did. need you for that. Yeah, yeah, uh, but th- there was that you know flaw in logic. Well, and and along those lines, Paul, that appears again in another DC book that I want to talk about later in the show. Oh, okay. You know, and then we had this issue, right? Issue four of War of the Supermen, which is, you know, 
basically undoes everything that happened in the last year. Super tidy, super neat, super crappy, in my opinion. I'm 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 not trying to you know downplay your opinion, even though it sucks. Um, but you know, so all this, you know, a hundred this huge war, Kryptonians are destroying the you know the world. And then Connor Kent, Superboy, says, oh, you know what? I have a Phantom Zone projector, so I'm just going to fly around and put them on the Phantom Zone real quick. And just like that, it's over in like three pages. Yeah. Of course. And then Crypto gets stabbed, and they make this big deal. Oh, my God, Crypto. You know, oh, he got stabbed with a Kryptonite knife. And Superman says, oh, just put him in the sun. He'll be fine. Seriously? Then what was the <laughs> point? <laughs> then why stab him in the first place? The you know? point was to pull on the emotions of people like me and Aaron. Yeah, because that was that one of those moments where I'm like, okay, Wayne doesn't like this either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, because uh, seriously, if you if you had killed Crypto off, I'd be done. Yeah, you know, I would be the I last. Aaron and, Aaron and I would have to carpool to California just to have a conversation with some people. <laughs> I, I think what you're responding to is the fact that you you've been a little bit more tuned into these stories, and so you're unhappy with with, with some of that resolution. Whereas this is my footstep back into the Superman universe after having been gone for a long, long time. Um, I, what I responded to is that the art got a lot better through this series, and I was really unhappy with it in number two. I didn't hate the book, and I, I was actually kind of entertained. There's a bunch of stuff in here that I was like, well, what was that all about? Like the, you know, the Phantom Zone apparently went away and then it, it came back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when. Yeah, that I didn't. I didn't get that either. For me, it seemed like Superman World, basically the the Superman books, had a whole lot of garbage on the floor, and this series was the dustpan in the broom that was brought in to sweep it all up and throw it all out. Absolutely, that's what it seemed like to me as well. I fall on Aaron's side. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the miniseries. It had a bad start, but I thought it recovered well. I'm glad it's over now. I'm glad all of the Kryptonians are gone. And I'm think I think I'm gonna be on board for Superman now. Well, and I like that they left it a little bit open that there could have been a couple of Kryptonians left and they just don't want to be found. I think that had I been as invested in the story, you know, as some as as like a big Superman fan where I'd read this whole thing, I might be a little bit irritated that you're back to status quo with General Zod, Ursa, and Nan all being back in the Phantom Zone. I think that might tick me off, but since I didn't read all that, it didn't mean anything to me. You know, I uh, I have to admit, I am interested in what's coming next in action comics and Superman. And that's why, you know, I did drop out um, not that long ago. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't collecting the whole Monel and, you know, Flamebird, Nightwing crap. Right. But, you know, I, I was collecting World of New Krypton until the last couple of months, and I just decided, you know, it's just not my thing. You know, I just – I. It just felt kind of sloppy, you yeah. know. And you know, we, we said this is kind, of, you know, that they were basically sweeping up the mess. But it's kind of like when my wife asked me to clean the bathroom. <laughs> you know, I do such a piss poor job; she has to go in and clean it after me. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul, in your case, it's an intentionally piss job. <laughs> yeah, why don't you do the dishes, Paul? <laughs> okay, <laughs> done. Um, you know, it, it just—it seemed like just so. It just seems sloppy to me, um, right. you know. It, it, you know, but you're right. It does bring things back to status quo, and I'm okay with things being back to status quo. I guess I just expected a little more. Well, and I will say that you know, and, and maybe this is a topic for another conversation. A whole what if we had written the War of the Supermen? But it, it seems to me that this is a, this was 
a larger story that should have been told in you know more books. You know, we we should have seen what happened to the other heroes because you really didn't get to see any of that. I mean, for the fact that that uh, some of these guys wound up being heroes in this, and as much as I like Connor, he's just not that big a big a guy. You know, I, I think you should have seen more of the Justice League or more of the Justice Society in this type of story when you've got thousands of of super powered Kryptonians on their way to Earth to wipe it out. You know, and I think they didn't do any of that on purpose because when you look at it, they were calling it the hundred minute war. Right. They're trying to give you the impression that this is something that just it hit, it happened, it's done. I mean, if it's a hundred minute war and it starts with the destruction of Krypton, not much happened on Earth. They show up on Earth, they fight for a few minutes, and it's all over. Right. And the Justice League were in San Francisco beating on a red bubble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I am going to go back now that we've got all four issues. I think I'm going to go back and read it back from beginning to end and see how it reads as as one you know solid story as opposed to you know chapter by chapter as we've read it, uh, just to see if it, it changes my my perspective on it. But you know, I, at, at the end of the day, after I finished reading this book, I liked it and I was I was glad that I read it. Yeah, I liked it. I like what they're. Uh, I like how they've set up Superman. The best issue of the entire series, though, was the free comic book day number zero by far. Absolutely. Now, and I will say that I didn't necessarily care for the execution, but I liked that it is that it has set up things to change in the Superman universe. We're back to the, the status quo that I like. Yeah. Now, Paul, you must have been you must have been excited about uh, the preview page for uh, Action Comics number eight ninety. I was. Yeah, because you know you had mentioned that you were curious if the Lex Luthor Agent Orange, uh, you know, Orange Lantern story was going to bleed over, and sure enough, there's Lex wearing his orange suit. So yeah, well, not only that, Action Comics. I, I'm not familiar with Paul Cornell's work very much. Yeah. Um, but Pete Woods, I love his art, and covers by David Finch. Uh, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be there for Action Comics. Well, War of the Superman did exactly what I think it was intended to do. It brought readers back because I'm going to be picking up the Superman books. You know, I'm excited about J. Michael Straczynski. I'm, I was kind of turned on by that Action Comics preview. Uh, I'm in. We'll see how it goes. Yep, same here. I, I haven't been a regular Superman reader in years. So we'll see. Well, you know, um, with Superman, you know, the new creative teams are about to start on it. And across the the water at Marvel, um, I think we were – well, I know I was getting geared up for Thor um, to have its new creative team start. Uh, It was Mm -hmm. going to be Matt Fraction and – I don't remember the artist's name. That other guy. Um, That other guy. Yeah. No, P- Pascal Ferry, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he did like some of the Ender's Game books, and uh, you know, he's actually a, a great artist. Um, but uh, uh, apparently, there have been some delays in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was originally supposed to start with issue six ten, I think, and then they pushed it to six eleven, and now it's being pushed off another four or five months. Yeah. So, um, you know, the bad thing is, you know, we we don't get that new start right after Siege, like most of the other books. But the good thing is we get more Kieran Gillen. And I am Thor. all over that. I really yeah. like I, I like how Kieran Gillen writes Thor. You can tell those other guys the, the door is closed and lock it. This, <laughs> this book was awesome. This was a good book. This was a good book. I uh, I, I really did enjoy it, and I, I really enjoyed the artwork, which surprised me. Absolutely. You know, I love the artwork. I, I This is definitely my book of the week, and it's been so long since we've had a Thor moment in a Thor book. 
so happy. You know, and this is also one of the moments that we called in the in our conversation before Siege about who should die in Siege. We got to see exactly what we asked for, the clone Thor being killed by Thor. And that that scene where that it's a it's a full page scene where Thor just lays the smack down on on uh, on Ragnarok. Beautiful page. I, I had a little nerd gasm when I saw that. I'm just <laughs> and uh, and you know, there's a little Thor tushy there, you know, for the, for the ladies. So. Ah, so, some more Thor upskirt. We 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 we've got your number, Kieran Gillen. Or for they Jonathan, throw, whatever. They throw that in just for Jonathan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I thought this was a really very good book, and you know, I I like that we haven't run away from Kelda. It would have been really in, really easy to just you know discard Kelda as a as a minor character, but I like that there is something else going on there, and I love the reveal that you know Bill is now over in Valhalla, and you know they can't while they she can see him they can't interact because it's living versus the dead. You know she is my favorite supporting character in this book. Mm-hmm. She's been my favorite supporting character throughout the run, and I love that relationship she had with Bill. And I like the fact that he's around now and that they're going to continue dealing with it and continue dealing with how she's going to end up getting back with him if she does. Well, and there's something hysterical about seeing Bill in the Hall of Heroes with his baseball cap. <laughs> 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 yeah, you've got all these Viking warriors in there, and there's Bill with his ball cap. I love the conversation where he's asking for mayo. Uh-huh. And they have no idea what it is. Like, I think that's a Viking hammer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's one thing I can say for J. Michael Straczynski and Kieran Gillen. I'm not, you know, I I used to read Thor back when Dan Juergens was writing it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I I was familiar with Thor. I wasn't familiar with all all of the other characters. You know, but since they started, you know, now I really am familiar and invested in guys like Balder and Tyr and you know like we said Kelda mm-hmm. you know side characters you know the the Warriors 3 I you know I know who they are whereas before honestly you said you know what about the Warriors 3 I'd be like who yeah you know <clears throat> they they've really done great strides towards making the supporting cast really click with me okay so somebody answer me this question there is an ad in this book for Scar son of Hulk yes <laughs> due out June 2008 somebody want to tell me about that it's advertising Scar, Son of Hulk, Greg Pak, Ron Garney, Paul Mounts, cover by Ron Carney, variant covers by Carlo Pagulian and Julie Bell, June 2008. You know, that's kind of funny. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I was like, I, that was weird. You know, <laughs> I've noticed a couple ads like that in the last couple of months, things that are older books that have been out for a while mm-hmm. that they, I'm guessing their sales are just really bad. So they're redoing the original promotional material for it but yeah i i didn't catch the date on it i just saw it was scar and ignored it yeah well honestly if the date is covered you'd have to flip over the little iron man extremist right motion comic coupon which let me tell you between that and the freaking colgate thing in the dc books i'm really kind of getting pissed because hey, but at they, least this gives you a free code for the download yeah but how many do i need well you just <laughs> give them to your friends there you go <laughs> here download um, right this if only you had a way to give stuff away to people that are <laughs> Some kind of mechanism, some sort of, of channel to bring goods to the people, Paul. I, wow. Uh, Paul, if you think of one, let me know. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> on that and let us yeah, know. I'll, all I got to say about that is Marvel, DC, I know you're listening. You always listen. 
stop putting ads in the middle of your book that are pullouts. And thank you for all the other companies for not doing it. Well, and this one sucks a little bit more than the Colgate one because the, the Colgate one was at least slipped in. It was like a, almost like a blow-in. You could just pull it right out. This one's actually staple-bound. Because mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh, well, this is coming out. And I'm like, ah, f- crap. You know. <laughs> for crap. For crap. Four six ten was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting how um, – and maybe this is just me, but I don't remember Valkyrie being mentioned ever until now. Well, you and know, she, she was a Defenders character, um, but she's not been in the book. But I don't think they're really talking – when Kelda refers to a Valkyrie in the story, I don't think that's the same Valkyrie that's over there in Secret Avengers. Oh, you could be no. right. She I might just be like – It's just the group of Valkyries. Right. I don't think it was an individual. Uh, okay. Makes sense because she looked different. I was like, oh, she's a redhead in this one. But uh, Thor 610, enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, I think Doug Braithwaite, I think his time working with Alex Ross has done wonders for his art. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sharp. And and particularly well-suited to the story, I thought. It's got that nice, fantastical kind of look to it that you know you really need for for a Norse god story. Me likey. <laughs> I, need, I need Kieran to tell Matt Fraction to stick it in Thor's head. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Well, you know, we were talking about Valkyrie, or I was talking about Valkyrie, and the real Valkyrie, blonde Valkyrie, <laughs> is one of the secret Avengers. Shh, Paul. What? It's a secret. Seriously? It's a secret. <laughs> oh my god. You have to whisper <laughs> when we talk about the secret Avengers. Shh. You know, you're only hurting yourself with editing with this whispering here. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what'd you guys think of secret avengers dug it yeah i enjoyed it you know the le- the the avengers that came out last week was a six this was a solid eight uh, yeah. i liked it a lot you, you know, know i don't care for the art style in here the art's good it's not a problem with the art it's not like it's bad art or anything i don't care for the style i wish it was a little more crisp but that's not a problem with the art it's just a personal preference well, I really like uh, Steve Rogers' new outfit. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 if you're not going to be in the Captain America togs, I, I this works for me. I uh, the artwork is I really like the the Diodato artwork, and I particularly like the way he draws Beast. Now I know he's still Cat Beast, and most of us frown on that, but um, I do like the way he's drawing these heroes. Good stuff. So along the idea of appearance, is it? I think Ant Man looked different in here than he did in the previous books. I don't have my idea of my Ant Man sitting around here to look at. But he looked different, and I didn't care for the new look. I noticed that War Machine is also different. He's He looks a lot more like the movie War Machine than he does the what we're used to in the comic. Well, I think Ant-Man looks closer to like what he did in Thunderbolts in recent months. That's uh, probably the case, because I wasn't reading Thunderbolts. I read him in uh, Irredeemable Ant-Man, then I read him into Avengers Initiative. The biggest tragedy of this book is that they got rid of Black Widow's cleavage. Because <laughs> it's on the cover, but in the book, it's more like a black turtleneck. Yeah. So uh, she's covered up now. Yeah, Jurjevic certainly has the right of it. But they had a scene with Valkyrie getting pawed by some random guy. Didn't that make up for it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I I have to say, I can't think of the last time I saw Valkyrie in a comic book. I think I can, but I don't think I want to. It was when they tried to relaunch Defenders a little while back. It was really bad. 
And, and it was. It was bad. I mean, you know, we've certainly seen her over on the Ultimate side of things. But in the regular Marvel Universe, uh, I I think it's been the Defenders since the last time I've seen her. And so it's been – God, it's probably been 20 years since I've seen a good Valkyrie story. So I am stoked that they've got her on Secret Avengers. And I really hope that Bendis – Sorry, not Bendis, Brubaker, rehabs the character a little bit to, to elevate her because I really have always liked this character. You know what yeah, else I, I really liked about this lineup? I liked Sharon playing such a strong part of it without actually being in the field. Yeah, I did too. And I like that, that Cap's still got a relationship with her. I've not been following the Captain America story, so this is the first time I've seen them together since she shot him. I'll go one step further. I like every te- every person in this team. Like yeah. I'm interested, I'm I'm bought in on every single one. Like the only one I was questionable on was Ant Man, and after reading this, I'm like I'm sold. Yeah, same here. I, I I like this entire team. I think it's going to be an interesting book, and you know, you know, like Tim said, this was definitely better than Avengers number one, which mm-hmm. was you know the big hit. You know, or, you know, as far as like advertising and things like that, uh, I thought this was, I, I I will say far and away better actually than uh, than Avengers number one. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So, uh, last page. Interesting. Yeah. I, I honestly don't think it's actually Nick Fury. You think it's think an it's, LMD? Yeah. That's what I was because, thinking. Because, you know, that, that that's the only way I could explain it. Because I read Secret Warriors, and, you know, there, there's just no way. Yeah, I was guessing there was some kind of life model decoy. Yeah, it, I was thinking the same thing. It just doesn't fit to be Nick with what they're doing with him. Yeah. I mean, and I get that continuity isn't <laughs> Marvel's <laughs> strongest strength right now, but uh, it, it would be totally against everything we're reading with Nick Fury right now. I agree. You know, and Nick Fury really is like Doctor Doom. Whenever he's in a book, there's a good chance he's not actually in the book. <laughs> good point. There were multiple Heroic Age books this week, you know, not just Secret Avengers. Um, two other Heroic Age books were Fantastic Four 579 and Thunderbolts 144. Now, a couple of you guys read Fantastic Four 579, didn't you? I really enjoyed this, and it had a strangely different feel than some of the previous issues. Yeah, it was very different. And, you know, the first thing you note is that uh, Eaglesham's not doing the artwork on this book. You know, and so that that was a, a different feel right out of the gates. We have uh, Neil Edwards doing the, uh, the the pencils, and it is a markedly different tone. I mean, just from the from the first page, you know, of story is just a, a big difference. You know, it opens up with Reed at a uh, a conference called the Singularity 2010 conference, hosted in beautiful scenic Golden, Colorado, <laughs> and. He's essentially telling these guys that you know you're a bunch of tired old men and you don't have any new ideas. I'm resigning uh, my uh, my seat in this conference right now. Yeah, except for Jen Walters, he told her that you know he thanked her and he thanked one other person. Basically, he tells everyone else, "You're fossils. You know, I want nothing to do with this organization anymore." He basically is a complete jerk to him. I loved it. Yeah, you you have politics masquerading as practicality. You're truly disappointing. I mean, he just you know. Kind of you know slams him through the whole thing and and you know, it cracks me up that he's got this very Steve Jobs kind of of uh, uh, presentation style you know and you can see he's you know lot, lots of hand gestures and kneeling down in front of the crowd to get to them and I was I was kind of cracking up that you know Reed is such an effective speaker <laughs> and, and then you know he resigns effective and, while telling them all that they're still living in caves that's right that's right I got a huge kick out of that. I, I spent a lot of time in this book going, what the hell is going on? And then you understand it at the end of the book. I mean, I, there was this moment in the book where I was like, I, I don't think I'm, I don't think I understand what's going on, and I don't think I like what I'm reading. 
you know, what what the hell happened? And then he it's just clarity at the end of the book. See, I didn't have any confusion because I read the uh, the very beginning, the first page blurb, uh-huh. and I kind of got what he was doing when you read that. I think they gave a little too much away on their number four point there, mm-hmm. that he's gathering the gifted children in the building. But yeah, as I'm flipping through it, I'm getting I got a kick out of seeing the uh, the kid from Power Pack. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was younger, I used to love that title. I you know read it. I won't go back and touch it because there's no way that holds up as an adult. <laughs> no way at all. Yeah. But I like seeing him in a more serious title. I was not hopeful when I saw the New World stuff because I didn't like that storyline at all. Right. I jumped back in after that, and I've been on such a fantastic four kick that I've been buying up all these back issues and hitting quarterbins and all for the recent stuff. Right. And that was one storyline I just did not care for. So I'm uh, I'm not hopeful that I see that's going to come back. But, yeah, I like the direction. The The best thing for me was that speech from Reed Yeah, where he's up on stage and he's basically telling everyone, okay, you guys are the past. I'm moving on. You know, I, I love that Artie and Leach are, are in the, the series because I've always enjoyed them, like back in the X-Factor days when you got to see them there. Um, it's, I, I've, I've always gotten a kick out of those those two uh, mutant kids. Those, those mutant kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th- this book, I, I got to tell you, Fantastic Four continues to be really good. And we still, even though there is a, a theme connecting through these Hickman books, each book is a, is a done in one story. I love it. I love it that these aren't cliffhanger endings that we're not, you know, decompressed storytelling and, you know, doing that kind of thing that these are all done in one. You could hand a copy of Fantastic Four to somebody these days and they could have a a complete story even though there are larger threads. You do get a a, a beginning, middle and end of each one of these books. I do kind of miss that wrap up they had at the ending for a while. Yeah. Since they basically they haven't had it in there since they showed that that was Val typing in her yeah. Or what they call it, basically her iPad. Yeah, but yeah, I, I love the uh, the <laughs> the classroom scene at the end of the book where you've got Val sitting up front, you've got the clone wizard guy, Artie and Leech, the mole people, and then the dragon dude. Oh, and the beheaded mole guy. <laughs> the Future Foundation. Good stuff. I read Thunderbolts 144 this week. And so I, I, I read it. I read it. No, only I read it. No, I read it. Okay, I looked at the pictures. <laughs> Do you mean the one that has 144 on it that I'm looking at? Yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> I loved this book. I guess I'm the only one. No, I yeah, but I I have to make a confession. This is the very first Thunderbolts book that I ever bought brand new. I've read Thunderbolts before, but it's always been a quarter bin kind of thing. This is the first new release issue of Thunderbolts I've read, and I was very pleased to have done so. I rather enjoyed this book. You know, yeah, I I'll one-up one you on that, because I, this is the first one I've ever bought, ever. I was a huge Thunderbolt fan back when they first launched it. I was excited when I flipped through the very first one, I got to the last page, and you have the big reveal that these are villains, but I I checked out right around Civil War time. Well, I, I think Luke Cage is is the right guy to lead this team. I, I I I just dug this book, and Jeff Parker has got such a such a great voice for these characters. Yeah, this was definitely this was a solid book. I was I was it, it kind of you know flowed into the other heroic age books that were pretty good this week. I was I was happy. Yeah, you know, and um, the team itself is such an odd assortment of characters. Uh, but you know, 
Jeff Parker makes it work. And, you know, I, I know we're always harping about how much we love Jeff Parker, but we love him. Jeff Parker, call me. Call me. But, you know, if it was any other group of if it was any other writer with the same group of people, I probably wouldn't have even bothered with it. But, you know, it, it reads really well. I, the art is really kind of good, too. I, I really kind of dug the art style of it. And uh, it's just a shame they didn't start with a number one like everything else because, of course, you know, the sales won't be as good as everything else because everything <laughs> else is a number one. Yeah. They should have just done Thunderbolts number one because it, it really is different from what came before. And, yeah, it ties in a little bit with some of the characters. But uh, I, I'm digging it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm set for for the rest. You know, the the the, the man thing discussion was yes. great. Yes it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the Hen- the Henry Pym. Hank Pym? Hank yes. Pym. Uh guest spot was was actually a really cool scene. Yeah, I I like this whole book. I like this whole book. Yeah. And that's really all we could say about it. Bye <laughs> Thunderbolts and thank us later. Well, I do have I do have a question for you guys. Nope. So, so the end of the book, they go to the other side of the island to have their little exercise, and uh, while Luke Cage is giving his speech, you know he apparently is stunned. Big underwater ship rises from the sea, and there's Baron Zemo saying, "Hey, come work with me." Yes. Is this part of the training exercise that Luke Cage was talking about, or is this actually Baron Zemo? I guess we'll find out. Um, but I would venture to say, I mean, because Baron Zemo was the leader of the original Thunderbolts, was right. he not? Right. So. It's a good question because Baron Zemo's in Captain America right now. Yeah. So you know, unless you know we're gonna complain about continuity again, it's you know it's an LMD, Aaron. The, <laughs> the end of the last page of every issue this week, it's an LMD. Okay. See, when I saw that, I just wondered if it, if Luke wasn't really going to be leading this team, if Zemo's going to show up and they're going to be led by him, changing the entire direction of the book. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, I don't know that Jeff Parker. He's wily. <laughs> it could be part of the training exercise it, it seems a little like it, it's part of the now that you mention it i think it's training exercise to see who would actually be on his side yeah and uh, yeah i'm just i'm just kind of curious about that aaron ruining the next issue for me <laughs> that's what i do we're getting ready to talk about some dc books here and i and i have to bring up a comment that was made on the blog this week uh, by vendguy 68 And he says, I love your podcast, but I'm a little tired of hearing about y'all being intimidated by the number of characters in the Legion. Give me a break. How many characters run around the X-Universe these days? How many Avengers have there been? I don't hear you whining about those books. It's not like every issue features every character in the Legion. I beg to differ. Uh, The return of the original Legion and Paul Levitz is the best thing to happen to the title in a long time. The first issue was good, not great, but solid. I hope you guys will give it a try. And try some of the the Baxter run from the mid '80s. Great stuff. Thank you for your comment, Vindigai sixty eight. But I, I I have to disagree with with with, with the tone of uh, his comment. In that, I think that's a, kind of exactly what Wayne and I said about. Yeah, we we were raving about the book last week. It was my book of the week. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, but I, I will say that I think there are too many characters in a number of the Legion books of the past. Didn't see that in the Paul Levitt story. But, you know, he says, you know, what about the, the, the many characters of the X universe? Yeah, I don't read those books. <laughs> You'll have to talk to Paul and, and, uh, and, and Jonathan about that. Yeah, and I never was an Avengers fan before. It's just I didn't really get into it until New Avengers when it was a much smaller team. Well, in, in all fairness, the Avengers teams, except for like big super events, have always been somewhere between six and ten characters. 
Whereas the Legion, I mean, you can go from page to page and it's always a new guy, you know. So. Yeah, especially in the '80s run because I didn't read the new one, but in the '80s run, my every time I open one of those, it's like this two-page shot in space of all 137 of them or whatever. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, and that's that's intimidating. You don't have all the X-Men on a two-pager usually. Yeah. So, but I, I, you know, I see what he's saying. Other teams have big rosters too, and if this book's gonna tone it down so you're not dealing with all of them all the time, then it probably will be a not really a complaint anymore. Well, you know, Paul Levitz, you know, does have some established street cred in writing Legion stories. So, you know, I, I am certainly willing to uh, give it a chance. And, you know, his recommendation about reading uh, some of the Baxter run, I have some of those books. And some of them, yes, indeed, are really very good books. I don't disagree uh, with Vindguy at all about where Paul Levitz has taken Legion right now. But uh, uh, I, I, do, I, I do strongly disagree that that there is a difference in the way Legion of Superheroes stories have been told in the past versus the way even, you know, X-Men and Avengers books have been told with the number of characters on the page. You know what? And that's a good point to bring up as we talk about our first Brightest Day book, Green Lantern Corps number 48. Yes, sir. Because, you know, the Green Lantern Corps, you know, we're talking thousands of characters. And sometimes I do find myself getting lost as to, which character are we focusing on? Because I don't know where this guy came from. Right. And I had that a little bit in this week's Green Lantern Corps number 48. Really? They focused on well, the fishbowl head guy. Who the hell was that? Well, he's fishbowl head guy. Well, exactly. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm just supposed to care all of a sudden. <laughs> he's wearing a ring. I mean, come on. What more do you need? He's not wearing a ring. Actually, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> You're supposed to care, Paul, because they told you to care. Each ring comes with certification that you ought to care. <laughs> I just assumed he was random guy in the core. I didn't feel like we were supposed to know him. I thought what we were supposed to get from that is, you know, he was a guy who was present in Blackest Night, and now this thing is happening. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get that I was – you know, uh, whereas – and the comparison I'll make is that in the Legion books, you're supposed to know who those guys are. But this guy, I mean, the, the idea here is that, you know, he was one of many in the Green Lantern Corps who fought in Blackest Night. He's injured. Here's this thing that's happening to him now. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, this is the first issue by a uh, new team, Tony Bedard and Artie and Saif. Uh What did you guys think, those who read it? I rather liked it. I did too. You know, yes, you know, I had an issue with, you know, like, I, I, my, my two big issues were that there was a scene with the um guardians where they were talking to each other mm -hmm. and whenever it would focus on their face and cut off their hair i didn't know which guardian was speaking yeah that was a little difficult and uh yeah and you know like i said some of the new characters that uh, i guess i was you know not familiar with and it took me out of it a little bit but overall you know it seems like it's continuing the same strengths that we saw with pete tomasi on the title you know strong focus on character you know and we're it doesn't feel like a change in creative team. Even the art style is not vastly different. But I think what you're really trying to say, Paul, is that all those Guardians look alike. <laughs> yeah, all those blue guys look alike to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. The, uh, the uh, change in creative team does feel like a very organic change. It doesn't feel like there's this huge shift. Um, I, I, I dug the art and I dug the story and I, I, I was a little surprised to see how much I enjoyed, uh, the dialogue between the guardians, you know, when Ganthet was resigning from, you know, being a guardian. Mm -hmm. What'd you think about that? Did you enjoy that? 
Yeah, I thought it was a good scene. In fact, I, I really loved that scene and the following scene with Gantt um, forging his own ring. Yeah, I thought that was cool. You know, uh, about how difficult it is for anyone to forge their own ring. And you see he's bleeding and, you know, and he, he you know, he finally makes it happen. And uh, yeah. I, I thought that was a very cool scene. Yeah, and, uh, I, I like the narrative there. You know, massive, potentially lethal levels of willpower must be sustained through the process. For will is the ore from which a ring and battery are crafted. I mean, yeah. it was really very cool. The only thing I didn't – well, I just didn't care for his costume. I mean, you know, it, it's like a robe with a Green Lantern symbol on it. I would have liked to see him in, you know, something a little more Green Lantern costuming. Do you remember back in the Ron Mars books where he kind of like wore a little suit? Yeah, I, that's what he ought to be wearing. That would I, thought, be awesome. I always thought he looked kind of cool in the little suit. But uh, you know, Tony Bedard off to a good start. Um, one thing I do want to say is I read this after I read Green Lantern Fifty Four. Yeah, and I, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it confused me because of the atrocities uh-huh. um, appearing in both books. However, I do want to say, you know, two things. Brightest, you know, these Green Lantern books really need to have a number on them. Like I agree. Superman books. Because I did the exact same thing. I read Green Lantern before I read Core. And I, <laughs> when I got to the scene with atrocities, I'm like, now, now how the hell does that happen? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the problem is they are doing such great things in these books with the continuity you know we're seeing where the storylines fit in with each other you know between these two and brightest day just like with you know blackest night in these two books they're flowing in the same fashion it's lost when you don't tell us which order to read them in though so i want to know when the green lanterns are going to step up and do something about the guardians turning them all into cyborgs because I, I think we're going to see it in this storyline because this storyline uh is the rebellion of the alpha lanterns so I think this is probably going to involve a little bit of that. See? Already answered your question just like that. Bam. Bam. That's true. Nothing to say <laughs> so to you. So there's going to be some Smurf genocide? Is that what you're saying? I think so. Uh-uh. Oh, that's great. <laughs> okay, so in the back of that book, oh. there are preview pages for Neil Adams' return to DC Comics and Batman for Batman Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. I miss Neil Adams. I can't wait to pick this book up. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see what it what it, you know. It's an uncolored, unlettered uh, preview, but I'm very curious as to to how it's going to be. Yeah, it's just inks, but uh, you know, Neil Adams is is absolutely my favorite Batman artist, and wow, I can't wait to pick this book up. I am I'm stoked for it, and you know, I kind of I, I do think that this is the way to do a lot of the preview stuff. I like the way DC has gone with just the inked pages with no color, no no uh, no script to it. You're just kind of getting a flavor of the action that's going to occur, and it really doesn't tell you a whole lot. You know, it just gives you a sense of the flow. I'm on. I'm on for this. I cannot wait for July. Batman Odyssey is going to rock. I have no idea what the story's about, but Neil Adams is there. I am so there. Well, we were talking about Green Lantern 54 featuring Atrocitus in New York City. It's it's the Atrocitus New York Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they should have called it. That you know, put that on the cover. Everyone will buy it. Featuring a very angry kitty. <laughs> you know, I actually really, really liked this issue. It was a good book. It was a good book. <laughs> the Angry Cat. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, for some reason there is a prejudice about having Nort in the Legion. You know, in the, I'm sorry, in the Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay to have a rage kitty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand that. 
Well, and I, what's funny is I think the cat is actually modeled after Shane Davis's cat, and Shane Davis did the cover art of this, and he wrote that original, or he he drew the Rage of the Red Lanterns arc uh, for Green Lantern. And um, I think he just kind of drew his cat in as a joke, and the cat has kind of you know, stayed in the series since. Well, but, I, uh, I am very amused that the uh, Red Lantern ring is on the cat's tail. <laughs> <laughs> just just cracks me up. And the, the cat wears the suit. You know, it's all yeah. funny. <laughs> but uh, the art in this issue, which is uh, the second part of the New Guardian storyline, uh, mm-hmm. again, by Doug Mankey. And, you know, we always say Doug Mankey's art is great. The art in this book is beautiful. Yeah. I thought it was beautiful. And again, you know, uh, he's paired really nicely with uh, uh, the colorist, you know, Randy Mayer with Gabe Eltreb. Um, the colors is just beautiful on these on these pages. Yeah, this is this is one of the most beautiful monthly titles yeah. out there, um, you know, consistent in art and everything like that. And uh, there's a, a guest spot at the end, which kind of came out of nowhere, but. I think it could be fun. Uh, you know, spoilers on. Um, you know, Lobo pops up at the end of the issue. Yeah. With no real reason. I guess we'll find out next issue. But I used to like Lobo. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it would be interesting seeing Lobo uh, fighting Atrocitus. Yeah. Now, I have a recommendation for future issues. They need to have more pages where Carol is trying to pick things up. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, that was a really nice panel, and uh, I, I think that would be best if, if just they could just have her picking things up in every book. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Are you, are you listening to us, Jeff John? <laughs> Doug Mankey, Pete Tomasi, you guys, you know, just anytime you've got Carol on page, she needs to be picking something up. <laughs> now, okay, so earlier we talked about War of the Supermen. And, you know, uh, Wayne and I expressed our frustration last week about how when the Red Sun went away, bam, all the Kryptonians immediately lost their powers, except for, you know, Superman and Supergirl, who managed to survive in space long enough for the sun to turn yellow again. Well, it happens again in the DC universe. They just can't keep those yellow suns yellow. And uh, Ion had gone, had been in the, the star in the Daxamite system. To turn it yellow so that the Daxamites, who are similar to Kryptonians in their genetic makeup, and under the rays of a yellow sun, they turn into super people. So he turned their red sun yellow so that they could fight off, you know, this invasion force. And so now, you know, uh, all these hating Daxamites, because they, they, they don't like aliens, um, have been superpowered. Red sun turns on, and they all immediately drop out of the sky. Same kind of deal. You know, I, I need there to be an explanation as to why that happened. And like I said last week, I can make an assumption that, you know, Kara and Kal-El were, had, a, had, you know, stores of years under a yellow sun that perhaps the Kryptonians didn't have and perhaps the Daxamites didn't have. But I need them to spell that out. I need to know why, bam, it's all of a sudden. Because every other time we see Superman fall into the rays of a red sun, he gets to kind of glide to the earth. <laughs> you know, he doesn't just immediately fall out of the sky. That's a good point. You know, I, di- I didn't even think about that. That is a very good point. Um, you know, and I don't know. I kind of took it as, you know, the red sun drains the powers instead of just cuts out the, the intake. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's just the way I, I understood it. See, and I've always, um, I've always kind of 
when you're in front of a yellow sun, you're essentially getting your batteries charged. And when you're under a yellow sun, you're working off your reserves. That's how I've always interpreted it. Well, and you know, that's one thing that I, I haven't liked about Superman that they introduced in recent times uh-huh. is, you know, his reliance on the yellow sun. I, I understand some of it. You know, I understand that it may give him extra boost or something like that. But I, you know, I, I don't like the fact that it's, he's so heavily reliant on the yellow sun because really, what about nighttime? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, he's get, he's getting some of those moon rays, that reflected sun. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, but your your point is well made. I mean, if he's immediately going to, you know, become weak under the sudden change to a red sun, doesn't does nighttime does he immediately become weak at night? You know. I mean, you know, if he were to fight the darkness, Top Cow's the darkness in an all black room. Would he not have any powers? Yeah. Does he need to be in direct sunlight? Yeah. You know, th- because that's exactly what they're trying to to say to us. Yeah, it's an inconsistency. Well, he would be weak against the darkness anyway because there's magic involved. Ooh, good point. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so Superman, you're screwed. Yeah. And, and the, don't don't fuck with the darkness, yo. <laughs> yo. <laughs> <laughs> so Green Lantern, <laughs> fifty four. We both dug it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I really, really dug it, and I'm very curious about issue 55 with the Lobo uh, tie-in. Yeah. So another brightest day book this week was Justice League Generation Lost, featuring uh, Max Lord screwing with everybody's minds and discrediting the uh, folks who are on the Justice League International. Like they needed much discrediting. <laughs> well, I, I do love that. You know, well, why hasn't he singled uh, Booster out? Uh, he doesn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> what you guys you know, think? I, I complained about the first issue. I remember complaining that the feel just wasn't right to me, that it was uh, everything prior to when they came together. Just I, It didn't do it for me. This, I love this issue. It was good. Begin, yeah, beginning to end, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the feel. I enjoyed the characters interacting with each other. I enjoyed Superman getting frustrated and flying away. Every complaint I had about the first issue was not the case here. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was a good book. I totally dug it. I, sadly, I don't have much more to say about it other than I really enjoyed it. I'm into the next book. Yeah, my only real complaint is that uh, Magog's in there. I don't yeah. want to see him anywhere. Yeah, I don't like Magog. I, yeah, he, he's painful to the eye. <laughs> oh, poor Magog. I love you. Know, you. <laughs> and there's just something that... There's just something that brings back good memories, seeing both fire and ice on the page standing next to each other in their supermodel poses. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it just works. Does uh, ice have one of the most dated costumes that you've ever seen? You know, with the with the little loose uh, workout shirt over the top of her of her leotard. I mean, I, I just like that is so you know 1989. I. <laughs> well, I mean, Aaron, she has Aaron, been dead for a while. You better back off. She bought that at a Dazzler garage sale. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you got to remember, she's been dead for a while, and then she's back alive. Maybe she's still living in the 80s. I don't know. I think it's hot. Oh, no. Don't get me wrong. It's hot. But uh, it just amuses me. I mean, you'd think think Fire, who's a little bit more fashion savvy, would have something to say to her about that. It looks kind of like a workout outfit. Like you could walk into a gym and see someone wearing an ice costume. Yeah, but you know she'd be she'd be working out going, you know, to the physical song, you know, because that's how dated she is. 
want to get physical, physical. Anyway, good book. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know it was a musical episode of Funny Books, did you? <laughs> it's always a musical episode. Hit it, boys! <laughs> yeah, Dead not so much. Silence. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do the big dance number the whole bit. We're going to sing the Infinity Gauntlet song to the Thanos Imperative. Woo! Woo! Thanos Excited Imperative! Stuff. Woo! Ignition! <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, I think this is just you and I. Yes, we are the only ones who read the Thanos Imperative Ignition, which was the one shot that kicks off the Thanos Imperative storyline, written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. I loved it. I absolutely loved this book. I loved, number one, the art was spectacular in this book. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. This was the absolute right match to this nice big cosmic story we're telling with the artwork. I mean, it just man. I mean, juicy, just drool running down my mouths. Um, it was it was really really very good. I loved that Thanos kind of briefs us for the first couple of pages about who he is, what he's done, what the status quo is, and then we get to you know where things are right now with him all chained up at the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy HQ at nowhere. Um, just really, really enjoyed this book. What did you think? I liked it. Uh, I will say, even though, you know, because I haven't been following Marvel's Cosmic Universe mm-hmm. other than a couple of issues of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, outside of those that core cast, mm-hmm. I wasn't really familiar with who the characters in the book were. Okay. You know, I know who Nova is, but you know, I was I was a little confused as to some of these characters and how they tied together and things like that. Um, you know, some of the storylines that have been mentioned. I didn't realize that um, Adam Warlock was now the Magus, the Magus. Right. Um, yeah, that happened at the about a story arc ago in Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, spoiler alert: on he he bites it in this issue. Adam Warlock or Magus. Yeah. I don't think he bit it. He disintegrated into dust. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I'm he's sorry. He's lost I, in time. Yeah, I don't even think he's I don't even think that's him being disintegrated. I think he teleported himself away or something. Cuz you know, he does stuff like that. That's a good point. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all, Paul. Not at all. <laughs> but I did like the Thanos imperative and um one thing that I I kind of felt in it even though I I like I said I'm not familiar with Marvel's universe stuff right now um galactic stuff it almost feels like it's um it's building towards the end of of many Mm storylines it it kind of feels like this is the conclusion to what they've been doing for the last couple of years out there in outer space did you get that feeling i well and i think that may be why the the um Space books have stalled or stop, you know, have taken a break while Thanos Imperative happens because I, I do think maybe they're about to do they're going to do a little bit of a reset on these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I'm I'm real curious to where they're going because I, I have you know Abnett and Lanning have done a spectacular job from Annihilation, Annihilation Conquest, the Guardians book, the terrific stuff they've done with the Inhumans and Imperial Guard. I mean, I am I am all in. On their space books, I just thoroughly enjoy them. Um, I, I I can't wait to see what they're going to do with this, and I also can't wait to talk to them about it. You know, because we've got Abnett and Landing are both going to be uh, uh, on the show here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so keep an ear out for that. I, I did enjoy the uh, little again the Cthulhu references in the book. You know, yeah, you know the the uh, the 
the bad guys coming from the other other fart of the other fart <laughs> other <laughs> part of the fall uh, are all very Cthulhu like. And even, you know, someone even says Fatagan. Yeah, yeah. That Magus does. Yeah. Oh, Fatagan. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but uh, it was it was a fun book. I liked it. Uh, I I'm definitely going to pick up uh, uh, Thanos Imperative number one, which comes out June second. Um, uh, you know, the one thing I didn't like. Even though it, it, you know it was a three ninety nine book, regardless because it was extra sized, there there was a reprint in the back. Yeah, and I didn't read the reprint because I've read it before. Yeah, uh, I did. The uh, it is a little taste of of, uh, of Thanos from the past. Um, I don't. I can see why they wanted to put a back up there. You know, to to kind of refresh people's minds as to who Thanos is. This isn't the backup I would have done. Um, yeah, I, I would have. Particularly with Scott Edelman, or I'm sorry, uh, Mike Zeck's rather inferior artwork here. I mean, I like Mike Zeck, but this is not his best work. I would have done something like one of the Jim Starlin uh, stories. Yeah, or even you know a, a little taste of Infinity Gauntlet. You know, then yeah. you, know, you could do it as an advertisement for that trade paperback, or more um, sketchbook pages because the sketches at the back of the book. Were, I thought they were fantastic. Yeah, those sketches were great. And we didn't talk about who who the big bad appears to be in this story, and it is this alternate universe's uh, uh, Marvel, you know, Captain mm-hmm. Marvel, um, and he's Lord Marvel, and he's got that uh, little Cthulhu star on his chest as opposed to his traditional, you know, little starburst that he's had on his chest. So I'm I'm really excited about this story. Um, it's just one of many really good books that have come out this week. Yeah, and, and I'm very curious as to why it's called the Thanos Imperative. You know, is Thanos going to be? You know, we we when we first heard about the storyline, I kind of thought he would be the villain, right? You know, but is it possible that he'll be battling, you know, with the good guys against, uh, you know, Marvel from the alternate universe? Well, bear in mind, and, and it may not have been as clear in the, this book as it has been in the prior books in the the space the the Marvel space books, but the one of the things that makes this other universe that's bleeding into our universe um, so dangerous is that they have extinguished death in their universe. So it's life gone amok and Thanos is, you know, represents death. And so they're wanting to take Thanos off the board. So Thanos is going to be the guy that they've got to keep, you know, in the Marvel universe so that, you know, life doesn't run amok here because life is bad, Paul. It's bad. (laughs) (laughs) now a lot of people might say that thanos is the ultimate enemy but that's not what we see in ultimate enemy number four that was a better transition i was like how do we transition from this to this (laughs) (laughs) now wayne and i have been the only ones reading this book uh on the podcast which and this has been the this has been the last holdout of the Ultimate Universe for me. Every other Ultimate book has been dropped. You know, I've enjoyed the miniseries. As we get to this issue, I just don't care about the Ultimate Enemy and all of that. I picked up this issue for one reason, and I got what I was looking for: the thing going on with the thing. Yeah. All of the rocks falling off, the energy coming out. Yeah. That's the story that I'm really enjoying in this mini. Yeah. And it sets it up right for the next mini, and I'm on board for that too. Yeah, really it, good mini. My only complaint is that yeah, I'm right there with you. I could care less about the the alien enemy whatnot that's going on. 
Uh, I'm very curious about what's going on with the thing. And I just hate that, you know, we didn't get to find out more that it's queuing it up for the next, uh, for, for the next uh, miniseries in ultimate mystery. Yeah. A miniseries but, should not end on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And that's my complaint is I just, I was really hoping I wasn't expecting we were going to have all of our questions answered, but it would have been nice to figure something out. But we spent the entire issue with Ben, you know, sick, uh, practically in a coma, that kind of thing. I thought there were some very nice character moments in this book. Yeah, I love seeing Invisible Woman talk to him while he's you know, unconscious. Ben, the thing, had in one of the earlier issues declared his love for her. And, you know, she she did that whole, oh, um, hmm, I really must be going. <laughs> you know? And, you know, she has a heart. Uh, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that. <laughs> yeah, is that my mother calling? I've really got to go. Um, <laughs> awkward. <laughs> But, you know, she has this this heart to heart with him and, you know, really s- says to him that you're a wonderful person. You're you're the you know one of the best people I know. Um, there's no one like you in the entire world. There's no precedent. And you love me. You said you love me. And why would you say that? And then let this happen. I mean, she goes on this whole thing and talks about how she doesn't feel worthy of his love, but she's going to save him and become worthy of his love. And I was like, you know, I, this is a story I really want to read. So I'm, yeah. I'm I'm excited. I, I I think one of the things that the the Ultimate Universe has the opportunity to do is to really break from established Marvel continuity and tell stories that Marvel hasn't really told. And this is one of those stories. We've taken Reed off the board. You know, Reed blew up in in, in his home, um, and he and and Sue had been broken up for for a while. And this gives us an opportunity to see what would a Reed and Ben couple look like. Reed and Ben. This <laughs> a Sue and Ben. That, I would pay to see that as well. <laughs> this gives us an opportunity to see what Sue and Ben would be like together. So I'm. Yeah. I, and you is, put him in a more human form instead of the Rocky form. It kind of opens that up. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. I'm. You know, I'm still in. I'm in for Ultimate Mystery. I will I'm more still excited be about Reed and Ben. <laughs> I'll still be annoyed if it turns out that Reed really is dead. Not because I mind them killing him, but because the way they killed him doesn't make sense for a stretchy body. Yeah. Yeah. No, you see, and I have a hard time believing that Reed's dead. I, I, I'm just not buying that. But uh, I, I am enjoying that he's off the board so that this story can occur. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Aaron's a romantic at heart. And nothing proves this more than his indie spotlight choice of the week <laughs> yes because nothing says good loving more than the walking dead <laughs> <laughs> i uh I, I read walking dead and trade i can honestly say i've never never bought or read walking dead and floppy um and i picked up uh, uh volume nine of the trade paperback and read it this week thoroughly enjoyed the book you know, one one of the nice things about The Walking Dead is you can never really emerge from it feeling, you know, uh, uh, like you have been. God, it's suddenly blanking on the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, it's not a positive, <laughs> life affirming book. You know, you know, you, you don't come in. You just you know, human character. There's just something great about humanity. No. <laughs> uh, you don't go. Oh, uh, that was fun. You know, that was yeah. a, oh, yeah, good time. But I really did enjoy it. Uh, this is this is the uh, – and I know that not everybody is as far along as I am in Walking Dead, um, whereas I'm not 
totally current, but I don't want to ruin anything for you. But this is after things wrap up at the prison. That's all I'll say about that. And really kind of establishing the new status quo. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. See, I uh, I stopped reading right after the prison storyline uh, ended. So uh, maybe now that I know that, that that arc is out in trade – and I stopped reading not because I disliked it, but because I don't think enough happens in an individual issue of Walking Dead to warrant reading it on a monthly basis. Well, and you know – you know, the- I agree with that. I only read it in trade as well. Something that I find really interesting about the way he does Walking Dead, because I read, I think everything I read in Kirkman, I read in trades. And so when I read Invincible in trade, I get a real sense of that's the end of that issue and I'm moving into the next one. I never have that sense in Walking Dead. It feels like one complete story. I don't feel like it's broken up into chapters. I don't feel like I I read, okay, well, that was 22 pages of that, of that issue. I'm now into the next 22 pages, where I do have that sense and invincible. Something else I find interesting about it, you know, I've read every single one of these in trade, and he doesn't do – he doesn't write anything in extra in here. He doesn't – you know, there's no uh, – there's no sketch pages at the end of the book. There are no art, uh, author notes. It's just, bam, here's the story. You know what I find quaint and cute, Aaron? Huh. That you're that far back and you think you've seen, you know, the horrors of humanity. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of quaint and cute. How far back am I? Um, the most current one is 10. So you're actually pretty close. Yeah. I, hmm. I sure do enjoy the walking. Actually, no, the most current one is, uh, is 11. Okay. So you're They're not, not too far. far back, but... Yeah, the very – you haven't seen the worst of humanity. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, something to look forward to. <laughs> something cheery. Cheery. To, to brighten your day. Exactly. Well, sticking on the subject of cheery books, yeah. Wayne, with his Indie Spotlight book, is reading Incorruptible. Yeah, and I was saying earlier, I think this book may actually be better than Irredeemable, the book that it was a spinoff of. This is another one of Mark Wade's books about, you know, basically his world Superman going crazy and killing massive amounts of people. Except again, the book is focused around one of his villains. When the hero goes evil, the villain decides to go good. And this is starting to wrap up that first, basically the first arc to set up the status quo. And the characters in here are incredible. You're getting the, uh, you're really getting inside the heads of what's going on. You've got this guy has had a 16-year-old girl as a sidekick named Jailbait that <laughs> as he was evil, he was sleeping with her. He was you know, just basically every uh, every nasty thought you can think is the things he was doing to her. And now that he's good, he won't touch her. So huh. you're dealing with her reaction to the guy that she's in love with and been sleeping with for a while now. Suddenly he's gone good. And won't touch her till she turns 18. Huh. And that's the kind of story you're dealing with as the backdrop of all the action as well. That's kind and of a gutsy that, story to tell. Yeah, and yeah. how that's dealing with her emotionally because she's a 16-year-old girl. She's you know, basically a big emotional time bomb walking around anyway. And the guy she's been sleeping with, the older guy she's been sleeping with, won't touch her anymore. So I can't recommend this enough. I think it should be out in trade pretty soon. I think it would be a good, you know, another good trade to pick up because it's all one nice big arc to begin with. 
Well, and, and that's how I've been reading Irredeemable is in trade, and I absolutely love Irredeemable. And I, I'm just waiting for Incorruptible to come out in trade so I can grab that. I'm looking forward to when they eventually – because they have to hit a point where they cross over. Yeah. I mean he's going good because Irredeemable, because of what happened there. So they have to cross over. They don't have to do anything. Oh, they do. They have to. <laughs> oh, yeah. They have to. They listed it. They're listening to me. They have to. <laughs> you hear that? Wayne says you you have to. Damn it. And listen up, assholes. All you know, right. you feel you feel bad for the uh, for the girl. And to be honest, it makes me feel kind of dirty reading the book and thinking he should just you know he should just touch her. She's she's a sixteen year old girl, but he should just touch her. I mean, she she feels bad. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> we'll move away from Wayne's lousy physically advice. physically move away from Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my indie spotlight of the week is on Mystery Society number one from IDW, written by Steve Niles, uh, art by Ashley Wood and Fiona Staples. Uh, even though I think Ashley Wood, all he does is the cover, but his name's on the cover. So that's kind of funny. Uh, and this is really kind of like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith meets almost like an like a little bit of X-Files type thing. Um, it, it's a, you know, it's this couple – and they're you know they're like supernatural investigators or something but it's it's not like um it's not done in a noir style it's done in an over the top superhero type fun action like a, like i said like mr and mrs smith like an action movie type style um you know and they come across all these cool characters who i'm not familiar with like the secret skull who's like a, a karate type person with a a skull for a head um and these like twins that uh, I guess like they're like telekinetic twins or something. They look like the Carrie twins, or not the Carrie twins, the the Shining twins. Um, you know, and it's just you know th- this big supernatural action book. It it really reads like a lot of fun. And um, I know some of the characters have appeared in other stories that I haven't read, but it didn't take away from my enjoyment of picking this up. And uh, you know, I picked it up purely because the cover I thought was pretty cool by Ashley Wood. And I just thought I'd give it a shot, and I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it is a three ninety nine book, which um, does make me hesitate a little to pick it up on a monthly basis instead of just waiting for a trade. Right. But, uh, you know, because I already pick up so many books, and, you know, it's hard to get into something else. But I'm going to give this another issue, and if I enjoy issue two as much as I enjoyed issue one, you know, I'm going to stick with it, and I'll just find something else to cut out of my, you know, <laughs> hmm. my uh, my monthly pull. Yeah. Hard choices, hard choices. Well, you know, with all the with all the crossovers, um, sometimes books just fall through the cracks. And the one that uh, Paul and I want to talk about right now um, came out a few weeks ago. It's called Prince of Power, um, and it's the story of Amadeus Cho um, and him receiving uh, the blessing of the Olympian gods. Paul, mm-hmm. uh, what were your thoughts on this book? Well, you know, I didn't pick this up the week it came out. I actually picked it up a week late uh, because I had read that it was so good. And I was like, you know what? Uh, Let me give it a shot. And uh, if you haven't listened to our Fred Van Lenty interview, we talk about the book. Uh, You know, listen to it. He has a lot of great insight and, you know, a lot of interesting things to say about it. Um, So, you know, I decided to pick it up. 
and I have to admit, even though I didn't read Incredible Hulkular in <laughs> Incredible Hercules, <laughs> even though I didn't read Incredible Hercules regularly, I loved the first issue of Prince of Power. Uh, I, I thought it was a just really cool. Um, you know, I, I liked the art, I liked the storyline, I liked the character. Um, I, I just, I really dug it. What about you, Tim? Um, I had as many laughs reading this book as I do when Deadpool hits on all cylinders. So there was a lot of of humor. It was great. I I, I agree. The art style was good. The writing was off the charts. I I love this book. I'm in yeah. for all four. You know, if there's one thing I could say about the art style is that uh, you know there are slight manga touches to it. Uh, I, I almost wish they had gone a little bit further with the manga touches, almost like a Scott Pilgrim type thing. Um, you know, because it, it seems like it would fit the storyline. But you're right. There's a lot of humor, and I I love humor in my superhero books. There's not enough of it. And, uh, you know, it, it's well done in Prince of Power. And I think we're both highly recommending that you guys pick up this book. If if for nothing else, for the form letter that Amadeus Cho sends out to the Olympus group. That, that was hilarious. Was hysterical. So, good book. Pick it up. Yeah. So, the final book we have to talk about this week is Batman, The Return of Bruce Wayne, uh, issue two of six. Again, written by Grant Morrison, this time featuring art by Fraser Irving. Um, who has done you know uh, numerous books over the years, including Days Missing? Uh, what did you guys think of this book? I know a couple of us read this book. I know we had mixed reactions to the first issue, uh, and I actually am surprised that uh, some of you guys picked up the second. I hated this book with everything I had. I am ashamed that my house has been besmirched by Grant Morrison writing. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> I really can't begin to describe how much I dislike the book. And when I opened up the page now, I thought that the that the first issue ended on an interesting page with, you know, uh, Bruce Wayne being chased by some kind of Cthulhu-like monster. And, you know, anytime Batman's got a sword, I'm generally pretty jazzed about it. You know, there's just some, some kind of – there's some kind of thing about, you know, Batman running around with a sword that, that really tickles me. Um and so, you know, the first, you know, three pages, I didn't hate, you know, I didn't hate it at all. And then the story kicked in and wow. <laughs> first yeah. off, what the hell is that thing at uh, vanishing point with the one eye? Uh, it was Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Is that what that is? That's Bruce you Wayne? Didn't catch, you didn't catch that at the end? No. You know, it's hard to tell with this art who Bruce Wayne is. But yeah, that's supposed to be Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That, that he's the archivist, and at some point he finds. Okay, let's be honest. I had to read this book twice to understand what the fuck was going on. Okay, so I only read it the once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, and the art doesn't help you because no. all the characters look the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I read it the nuns. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and basically, you know, it's told in a, a non-linear format. You know, Bruce Wayne's jumping. You know, forward and backwards in time. Right. And, um, you know, s- searching for him throughout time are Superman, uh, Booster Gold, Green Arrow, and Rip Hunter, as we'll see the storyline in the Time Master series that we talked to Dan Jurgens about. Right. And at some point, they go to Vanishing Point and come along the archivist, who, 
it's not exactly clear what his role is. I don't know if he's a character who I've seen who's been around before. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the archivist is going through time, he finds the moment in time that we're seeing in the past um, with the the girl. He wow. finds that moment in time in the archives and then reveals that he's Bruce Wayne. But I, I, I get the impression he still has – or maybe he doesn't. Maybe you, he doesn't have amnesia. I don't know. Are you saying that when the scene where you know his his head kind of turns into a television and it it looks like Bruce Wayne? You're saying that that's him as that that's him being Bruce Wayne? I'm saying that that is Bruce Wayne. He's the archivist. That's why Superman yells at. That's why Superman yells at him. He took your memories because he's talking to Bruce. Ah. Oh, t- time out. Stop. <laughs> so they all these guys get together and say we're gonna go find Bruce Wayne. Let's go to the end of time, and then they find Max Headroom. Essentially, yes. Is that Absolutely. what I just heard? <laughs> oh God, dang, Grant Morrison! <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, that would have been better than what they found. And the problem with the what hurts most about the return of Bruce Wayne is that you know some of the ideas could be kind of fun. A witch hunter Batman. You know, like a Solomon oh, King yeah. type character Absolutely. could be a hell of a great time. This book was painful to read. They didn't take that concept far enough. They didn't, you know, it didn't make sense at all. And the problem is, all the characters, like uh, Wayne said, all of them were drawn the same. So I don't, I didn't know who was Bruce Wayne half the time. Uh, I, I hated, hated this issue, and you know, it, it sucks because it, it could have been a lot of fun. You know, there were there were things on the cover. You know, Adam Andy Kubert drew the cover, and it looked like he was you know setting up like a penguin and mm-hmm. a Joker and a Riddler and a or a scarecrow. Yeah, a scarecrow. None of that shit happened in the book. Yeah, Andy didn't have the nifty uh, you know hat with the with the with the uh, you know bat signal buckle on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> That just seemed like it could have been, you know, looking at the cover, it's like, oh man, this is going to be a fun book. Yeah, and it's not. It, it's it's confusing. Obviously, we have to explain it. It's like the season finale of Lost. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I I wow. I you know I, I'm I'm going back at those pages and I see what you guys are saying. I I didn't get that the first time out. I'm not you know, rereading this book though. I, I do have I do have to thank Grant Morrison for one thing. We had so much glowing things to review today that we haven't had anything to complain about until exactly. we get to his book. I want my money back, and I didn't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you know, Paul's absolutely right. There are some kernels of some really neat ideas here. Um, I could really get behind a you know a uh, a colonial era uh, Batman running around you know. Rooting out witches and whatnot, I, I could and, and discrediting some of the witch hunters. You know, I, I could really get into that. But boy, there were a few panels on here I enjoyed. Like I said, you know, the sword fight at the beginning of the book. I liked some of the moments between Bruce Wayne and the witch lady. Yeah, you know, and I thought some of those pages were drawn very nicely. You know, I had a really you nice know, color pattern to them. Uh, I haven't given up hope that we're going to see some of these concepts and they're going to be really cool. They're not going to be in the Grant Morrison book, though. <laughs> I think that when Dan Jurgen starts his uh, Time Hunters, maybe we'll actually see some of this stuff actually you know, reach its potential. We're yeah. not going to see it in this book, though. We're not going to see it in the mini at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because honestly, had they cut out all of the stuff with the, the Time Masters, 
I think this book probably would have been better. Yeah. Had they gotten rid of that, had less confusing art, and just focused on the storyline that we bought the damn book for, Yeah. I think it would have been a better read. I agree. I agree. Damn it. But you know what? When issue six comes out and everything's all said and done, we'll have a what if we were writing The Return of Bruce Wayne. Absolutely. We'll tell you how it should have been done. That's right. Listen up, Grant Morrison. <laughs> a couple of a couple of books are coming out next week. Avengers Prime number one, which is a uh, a Bendis book. You guys have any thoughts about that one? I don't know. I, I I'm not a hundred percent sold on it just yet. Yeah. The I, I'm not the biggest fan of Alan Davis art either. Really? Boy, I love Alan Davis. I am not a fan of Alan Davis, so I just I I don't know. I will probably pick up the first issue though. Okay. Yeah, I know I will. I'm looking forward to that one. I am as well. Okay, another book that's coming out next week is Hawkeye and Mockingbird number one. And I, I've never been a big Mockingbird fan, but a lot of it had to do with her costume. And I really like her new one. But I don't know much about the writing team on this one. It is Jim McCann, who I'm unfamiliar with, and David Lopez as the penciler. I'm also unfamiliar with him. You guys know anything about those guys? Team who worked no. on the Hawkeye Mockingbird uh, miniseries. Okay. So I, I think it's that same team, which I didn't read either. You know, yeah. during uh, I think during Dark Rain, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I will probably not be picking that up. I'm gonna, f- I'm not gonna put it on my pulls, but I am gonna flip through it because you know I, I'd love to read a good book um, with those characters, but I, I, I'm not gonna commit to buying it until I get to flip through it. Now, the book I'm really jazzed about for next week is Hercules: Twilight of a God Number One with uh, artwork by Bob Layton. I'm very excited about that book. I loved the old Hercules miniseries from the 80s that Bob Layton did. He's also doing the writing on that book. Cannot wait to see what this one does. You know, next week's also the first issue of Legends of the Mouse Guard. Yes, it is. And our uh, Dave Peterson interview drops uh, this week as well. So you'll have a little something something to listen to in regards to Legends of the Guard. And if you can't get enough of us, check the website. There may be more content with your favorite uh, funny books host. What Tim is hinting at, because I guess he's, he's afraid of ruining the surprise. I'm a secret Here. funny book. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we have to tell people so they know to go to the site to get it, because some people you know, subscribe to the feed and get the podcast automatically through iTunes. Okay. Go to ideologyofmadness.com this week. We'll be starting our weekly Funny Books After Dark uh, column, written by Tim. Well, written by all of us and compiled by Tim. And Tim doesn't have his pants on while he's writing it, so that's the After Dark part. <laughs> and uh, that, you know, that was the secret part. Q point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, it's not a podcast. It is a, an article series of you know topics that we didn't necessarily get to on the show, but we want to talk about while they're still fresh and, 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 and interesting. So check out Funny Books After Dark this week on ideologyofmadness.com. Awesome. Well, hey, guys. It is uh, – we will be releasing this on Memorial Day, so uh, you guys have a, uh, an excellent Memorial Day weekend. You too. And uh, we will chat with you next time. See ya. Adios. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>